House of Naco. You're listening to a special edition of House of Naco, the Democratic Presidential Debates 2019 Part 1. Thank you for joining us for this very special edition. And we're recording live from Brooklyn, New York. And if you are one of the millions that tuned in tonight, I know you had a lot of questions, a lot of bewilderment, a lot of laughs. There were a lot of emotions tonight, like any good political sad drama, as Senator Mike Gravel, former Senator Mike Gravel, Democratic from Alaska, who should have been included in the debates, but obviously these ridiculous barriers that candidates have to go through to even get on the debate stage, which is raising $65,000 from uh, donors from different states. There's all these uh, intricate laws about how the 65 is counted. So uh, for all those on that stage, they were able to either meet or exceed that. And I was happy to see Tulsi Gabbard on the stage. But anyway, getting back to Mike Gravel, he is also technically running for president and uh, wasn't able to make the debate stage because he didn't make that threshold of 65,000. But he should have been because he would have put these politicians, former congressmen, current mayors to task because this man is no joke. Uh, You should definitely look up Senator Mike Gravel, check him out on Twitter. He's got a great website and is still looking for donations because he still has a message. Uh, Even though this man is well into his 80s, I believe he's older uh, than all the candidates. And there's some old timers. So Mike Gravel would be the oldest. But I've watched interviews with him and read quite a bit about him and his history and he's basically just running to keep those who are running on task and talk about the real issues and not use it as a platform for pandering and political theater which is what we saw tonight from every candidate and it was expected i'm not shocked but the level of which it was displayed was almost shocking. I mean, and that's a good platform to start with the candidate from the city that I live in and love. The biggest city in the United States of America, New York City! Yes, that's right. 
And we have mad love for New York, all boroughs. And we are under the (laughs) dictatorship of Governor Bill de Blasio, who like very much like uh, Barack Obama embodied a personality, a cool persona, almost like a Bill Clinton type. And he has been, he's definitely tight with Hillary and Bill. He's been groomed by them for many, many years. And on a side note, which still is important because if you live in New York or whether or not you live in New York and you pay attention to uh, political news and from the last election, there were over, well over a million votes that were not counted in the primary elections where we had to choose between Hillary and Bill, uh, Hillary and Bill, (laughs) Hillary and Bernie Sanders. And it was just... As someone who campaigned and worked for Bernie Sanders, both my husband and I took our time outside of work to, you know, do actual canvassing using our design skills to help uh, spread Bernie's message of action, equality, and he had the resume to back it up. So we... For the first time in my life, I had volunteered for a politician. Like, I've never, even though I'd studied politics and had thought about being a lawyer, I had never gone and made that step. So, I, for Bernie 2016, I was all in, okay? Bernie, (laughs) Bernie, now that's, we'll talk about that for tomorrow's live episode. Still have mad love for Bernie, but. Uh, definitely some concerns and issues because it's not about the candidate per se. It's about their ability, what their message is and if they have the record to back it up. You can say I'm tired and I think people are sick and tired. And another reason why Donald Trump appealed to a lot of people was because he's not this great orator like Obama who can give a speech and give, make people fall in the aisles like they're in some Baptist church. He just, he doesn't use language correctly. <laughs> Obviously wasn't a good student in English, but that's okay because most Americans are anyway. So that would, that is also what made him relatable. And he just told it like it is, even if he fumbled, even if he lies. These people are like, yes, he is. He's the Messiah for this country, literally and figuratively. <laughs> and we'll talk about that on another show. But, but again, getting back to Mike Gravel's tweet, and I'm paraphrasing it about this being some sad political bad acting theater it definitely was that so yes uh i lost my train of thought but i'm getting back there it's uh bill de blasio because we're starting with new york my city and for as long as i've lived here which has been a very very long time i consider myself a true new yorker if you've been here over 10 plus years and stuck it out You can definitely call yourself 
someone who's planted roots here. You weren't just coming here to try it out and lived here for a couple of months and then you had to come home. The city will either make you or break you. And to me, it's one of the most special and most beautiful places on the planet, which is why people from all over the world come here and live here. And I have been a resident of this city for as long as uh, Mayor de Blasio has been in power. And I have not seen anything that could make him have that level of confidence that he was exuding on that stage. It should be shame. Like, there's a lot... I mean, the transit system, housing, he has failed miserably with housing and homelessness is on at an epic high epic high I don't need to have the statistics in front of me to know that I've seen an increase of people sleeping on the trains an increase of people begging in the streets begging coming into restaurants and begging coming to beg I mean just crazy drugs like opioid deaths in this K2 and inequality still no opportunities there were talks of like so many programs and so many things that were supposed to be incentives and to help the foster community and to help people grow and he says the right things and uses his biracial family as props which I find to be so insulting the way in which he brought up <laughs> let's just get to it okay Dante poor Dante it's almost like were you just <laughs> you're just you and your family just are just perfect pawns and it seems like the governor brings them out to try and reach people of color or brown and black people and brings up his mixed family but in the context in which he did it, it was just totally cringeworthy. And I say that type of cringe that makes your like shoulders creep up into your neck because you're so embarrassed for the person. Because it's like you are going to these lengths to like use your black son and try to say that you, a privileged white man, can tell your son Dante about what it is to be black and the black experience as a man. Like, there's no way, Governor, that you are able to talk to your son in that way. Your wife is bringing in some perspective that she can, but isn't able to do that fully because she's not a, a black male or doesn't identify as one. So, but I mean, I'm not even trying to break down your family dynamics like that. Just to bring it up in that context, well, I... It's like how he said it was so gross. He was like, well, I'm the only one on this stage for 21 years has dealt with this because I have a black son named Dante, you know, and drop the mic thinking that that's going to like up him with the give him like street cred and whatever. And it just made him look pathetic. And I also think and very much disagree with the corporatist news media that thought that bringing up his father's suicide was some golden shining moment for him. Like, of course, that's a terrible tragedy for anybody, whether they're a governor running for president or just an average everyday person. That's terrible. 
but the content like it's almost like bringing it up like you weren't talking about the suicides in this country is something you know to talk about but that like wasn't the meat and the topic and the substance like you used it somehow to like you know bring in these votes to strike a chord with people either sympathy sympathy empathy something and I just feel like when those opportunities are used in that way it completely comes off as insincere and this is what we are tired of in these corporatist politicians that only care about advancing themselves and their rich friends and their family and most importantly what I noticed with all of the candidates every single one of them except for Tulsi Gabbard I must say but all of them had Bernie talking points and the way I separate Tulsi Gabbard from the crowd is because Tulsi Gabbard has had those talking points and has had uh, an allegiance with Bernie Sanders that is established that is you can look it up you know it's theirs and she's not just saying that because it's the debate and it sounds good um so that's why I separate her from that but there was a lot of pandering, a lot of that came off totally insincere and totally fake. And de Blasio was definitely the king of that. And then right next to him, though, was Cory Booker. Like, I just, the pandering was just too much. It's like, yes, we know you are African-American or identify that you're biracial, whatever. We know that, Cory. We know and actually, I'd love to fact check. I should have done this before coming on the air, but I definitely will after to share exactly what community Cory Booker, Cory Booker, Cory Booker was speaking about when he was talking about his poor brown and black community, the poor black and brown communities. I highly doubt and I'm very suspicious that Cory Booker doesn't live in some Section 8 housing, government housing. He doesn't live in the Ronald McDonald houses or the Louis Armstrong houses, or he's not in some Staten Island ghetto. I mean, I know he's from New Jersey, so let me rub some jer- He's not like in South Orange like down in in the district where all the homeless people are like that's the way he's trying to make it seem and i know i don't even have to fact check what am i talking about i don't have to fact check i know he doesn't live in the barrio in the ghetto like that please please you don't look like he, he doesn't look like he could survive out there and again another candidate that seemed insincere they there have been ties to Cory Booker and corporate functions that he has these connections. They might not, he said on the stage tonight he didn't have connections in pharma and isn't going to take money for his campaign for pharmaceutical companies. Well, his connections have to be in steel and oil and guns, something, but there definitely has been reports not by the mainstream media but by corporate media of of talking about uh cory brooker and 
his ties to lobbyists in Washington and having interests that lie with corporations and not with people. But today you would have thought from, or tonight you would have thought by listening to him that he's a pioneer of the people, that he is this super progressive candidate that has this record to boot. And you can look up and see what his record has been in Congress and who he's voted for and what he stood for and what he stood against. And there's no way you could call him progressive. He's a corporatist, a capitalist, Susan Warren also. Susan Warren, <laughs> Elizabeth Warren. Susan sounds better. Anyway, so Elizabeth Warren also was up there pandering, trying to connect with Joe, Susie, Six Pack, and I think all of them just came across insincere. The only one who didn't seem insincere was uh, Castro, the only Latino running. His Spanish made sense because that's his born dialect. And even if I understand that Miami has the Los Cubanos representing, and there's a lot of Spanish speaking in Miami, but we're still in the United States of America, you know, and if you want to, I know that the Latino vote is definitely like what back in the day they used to pander to African-Americans since Latino, the uh, percentage of Latinos in this country has way surpassed black people so that's who they are trying to put focus on so that is why you heard all of these random except for Castro really having and I guess this is kind of random too because none of it was like prefaced by anything it's not like they were specifically talking about the Spanish community and then they broke off into Spanish like Beto O'Rourke which I just learned today that Beto is a nickname in the uh, in Hispanic or not Hispanic in uh, Spanish-speaking cultures for Roberto, so it's Beto, and I'm assuming this dude grew, grew up in Texas. That's how his Spanish is so fluent. However, I feel like there was a way for him to introduce that that should have been way more fluid way more sincere, way more real, but he just broke the, the, his Spanish also wasn't even answering the question. So it was just like, let me take this moment to show that I'm fluent in Spanish. And it was annoying when Hillary told Tim Kaine to, to speak in Spanish for like 10 minutes back in the <laughs> Hillary Tim Kaine days. And it's even more annoying when Beto O'Rourke does that as well. Um, It's cool that you're bilingual, but again, it would be a lot more sincere if you were coming across as you're showing that you're bilingual as a, a white man and tell the story about how that happened and it's important to... Yeah, have cross-cultural experience something like that like make it count like the fact that you're just like bam like adios like what 
it just didn't make any sense. And then for Cory Booker to jump on that bandwagon and also speak his little Spanish. And he's not fluent at all, and you can tell. And you can tell it's just because he's saying it. That that was a lot of Cory Booker's, like, very sandbox, childlike responses. When Bill de Blasio was bringing up his black son, you could see Cory Booker's face. He's like, ugh, the black thing is for me. So then he found a way to bring in again his race and but this was the first time and it wasn't the question wasn't even about it so that's what also makes it awkward and weird is that they divert to these pandering marks that don't even make sense in the fluidity of the debate so you're like what and it just sounds so awkward to them I don't know maybe in their minds it's making sense but to us in the audience we're like how did she ask you about you know how you're gonna stop Mitch McConnell when he was stopping Obama and then he's like buenos dias mi llamo Beto O'Rourke <laughs> you know like what and she's like, are you going to answer the question? And then, as I said before, the answer isn't even reflected in Spanish. So it's like, why are you even doing this? Anyway, so the pandering was off the hook, off the chain. Tulsi Gabbard was the only person who was not guilty of this. Um, let's see. I'm just looking through my notes here. I just feel like a lot of it... Also, it was very annoying as someone who is, as I said, was a Bernie supporter, still am in some aspects, but knowing basically his philosophy and his mission and Bernie has been saying, he's been very consistent on that and has been saying the same things for years. And the record, he's got the receipts as the populist says so the receipts are there and the track record is there for Mr. Sanders however these people on the stage many of them I had to look them up like who is this don't have the records to back it up but they're using this very progressive all of them talked about the top 10 of 1% and that America is only working for some people and needs to work for everyone. And these are the talking points that Bernie Sanders had even when he was a mayor of Burlington and a, a senator for Vermont. So that was just annoying that they're all trying to take talking points from Bernie Sanders, but the corporatist news media still doesn't want to it, they're threatened by Bernie and how successful he was last president election in reaching the masses and raising millions of dollars quickly by small donations and he definitely was a threat to Clinton and I believe these votes you know, didn't just disappear. Someone had to work to together to make that happen. And right now, from these ten and what they displayed tonight, like I like I agree with. I keep saying it with Mike Rebell's tweet about this sad political 
theater it was. It wasn't talking about the issues. The way that they structured it too, though, MSNBC and who, if you look at the purse strings for MSNBC slash NBC, it's definitely linked with high levels of power in this government. So of course, certain people were given certain longer time periods because they finished some polls that, I mean, it was ridiculous. So basically they made sure that Tulsi Gabbard would not have a significant amount of time, not just her, but some of the, uh, the, it was basically Elizabeth Warren and Booker and Castro and uh, O'Rourke who had, oh, is Cla- I don't even know how to say this woman. I have not mentioned her, this Amy Klokobar. She is, before this debate, I had watched a debate that she was in and just found her to be so irritating. I just want to be like, next, done, done. Like everything she said sounds completely insincere. I remember she answered a question so strangely when Rachel Maddow looked her straight in her face and asked her, what have you done in your political career that has helped Blacks and Latinos? And Amy Klokumbachenschnacken looked into the camera and was like, well, this is about opportunity and choices, and this is about my grandmother telling me. And she just went off and did not answer the question because you know what the answer to the question was? She's done nothing. Zero. Zilch. And she was like, look, look, what would it say? And just came up with some nonsense. She actually said, and I wrote it down. I was like, what is happening now? This is what she said in response to Rachel Maddow asking her, what have you done for the brown and the black folks? An African-American woman goes to the hospital and tells the doctor that her hands are bloated. He ignores her and her baby dies. That's what I have done. (laughs) That part, that's what I have done. I added that. But that was her answer. And then she quickly went to something else. I was like, what? Was I mean, she clearly had a brain... (laughs) I don't like that word. But brain freeze without having herself a cold one from 7-Up. Yeah. Like when it just comes to you or I don't know what she took before the debate, because at one point the camera was on her face and it looked like there, you know, after you've had a good cry and especially if you have some makeup on, you can see the trail of tears and you could see some sort or maybe it was sweat because she really was not prepared for all of this hot mess. That's probably what it was. And the drama continues tomorrow. I could go on and on and on about today, but I just wanted to give my direct reactions. We will definitely be putting together a more comprehensive reaction. But these are just some of the overall feelings I had about the entire shindig. <laughs> I just don't want to call it a debate. It was just, just like Michael Bell said, some sad political theater. But it's also like train wrecky. So you want to get your popcorn or your best snack and listen to the mess unfold. So. 
Part two is tomorrow. Uncle Bernie and Crazy Joe Biden are going to spar off. Because you know that's all we care about for tomorrow. It's both of them and then Booga Cougar Chuga Booga, the dude from Indiana who is completely whacked. I feel like why haven't you dropped out? He recently had some tragedy in his state in South Bend, Indiana, which has a really bad violence problem. He wants to act like, just like de Blasio, that everything is great in my city and uh, I've done and I've made it and I'm me, me, me. And he doesn't talk like that, but that is my impersonation. My personal. Anyway, but you can't try to claim all this success. I mean, I guess in the end you can do what you want, but the people that live there are going to be like, well, what is he talking about? What have I missed? Where have I been? Have I been asleep? What, what's going on? How, you're, you're acting like the streets are paved with gold and we're not seeing what we're seeing out here. We're seeing all this progress and all this upward mobility. And that's what we should be seeing if your attention was focused on that and not on anything else but that anything and everything but what you're supposed to be focused on is what politicians are doing today and it's the people who are running that want to put the focus on the people and there's a lot of things wrong with our country and our constitution but and I'm not someone that puts founding fathers on some pedestal. They were human beings, made a lot of mistakes, and couldn't really be forward thinking. (laughs) However, not too forward thinking. However, when they wrote, I believe in the preamble, for the people, by the people, of the people, that is one thing that they got right because whenever someone is fleeing persecution whether it's religious spiritual whatever type persecution is persecution when you're fleeing it and starting something new you want to make sure it's not about dictatorship that it's about the voices of the people within the community so those are the people that are going to make the real changes and I have yet to see that except for what I was hearing from Tulsi Gabbard. I feel like she was coming across as sincere and not just coming across. She was. I wish she had had more time and I wish she had been a bit more aggressive. I think if she had, she could have been trending on Twitter. But I commend her for her professionalism, her maturity. You want someone who can keep their cool like that too. And so I believe she did well. And she is the MPP or the MVP, as they say, for this evening. And I'm looking forward to tomorrow's live edition recap of the second Democratic presidential debate. So until then, I bid you adieu. Good night.